the indecening. Good indes and indes to indes by the indes. The indes where indes indes and indes indes are the indes 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 indes. Indes your indes, Mike's forage, and indes indes are indes of Michael Chidester, Kendra Brown, Stephen Cheney, Jess Finley, TQ, and Johanna Hopfgardner. Indes is the third indes of indes 28, where indes will be indes line 78 again, you guessed it, indes. How's that the first thing in the morning? <laughs> And welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early edition how a long sword glosses. Uh, we just said who the panel are, and this is our third attempt at a mega episode on Indes. Technically, they are our second attempt. The first one we split after recording it, not during it, but yeah. Well, well done to you. Technically, right is the best kind of right. <laughs> <laughs> and technically correct is the best kind of correct. <laughs> okay. So we don't have any new gloss to go over. Does anybody want to kick this off? Uh, who's Should been we up to what exciting stuff? Oh, yeah. Who, who's been up to what in the last couple of weeks? Uh, Jess, you been up to much? Uh, yeah, I'm just still teaching my... Um... My online class on the Hopstuka, so we just did um, Nakaraisen, and so obviously Indes. <laughs> How was your 5,000 mile road trip? Um, it was really a lot of miles. Um, we did good, though. We did good. Um, yeah, my family traveled uh, literally halfway across the country and back. Um, I think it was 2,890 miles, according to my odometer. Um, and we did that in one week. So um, fortunately, none of us have gotten COVID. And uh, so I, I call it a success. <laughs> I did a couple of long tri road trips at points in the US as a kid. And yeah, you can do them to a completely different level than I've ever been able to do in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Lands end to John O'Groats is apparently 900 miles, so this is many times the length of the UK. Once when I was a kid, my dad and I did uh, Columbia to Dallas in one day, uh, which was a bit long. That oh, is yeah. Columbia, South Carolina to Dallas, Texas. It's 990 miles plus off interstate distance. I was going to say, driving through 10 countries is pretty impressive for one day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's probably how European road trips work when you go that far. Yeah, pretty much. Like 12 cool. hours is about my limit for how long I'm willing to drive to get somewhere. That's just me, though. Yeah, yeah we did We did 12 hours the first day. So, well, 13. 12 hours is like here to Toronto, Canada. And yeah. that's, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, it is indeed a lot. The eight hours to long point every year, though, that's kind of a nice drive. I enjoy that one. <laughs> uh, Joey, what have you been up to? Um, nothing really. I, I've been wanting to, to write an article about my research on judicial duels in Germany in the 15th century, century um, for 
I think a month. <laughs> and I didn't so far. So <laughs> I told my club <laughs> I told my club um I would like hold a lecture <laughs> um, about the research I did on Monday because I thought a deadline would help me finally uh start writing the article. <laughs> But It's in two days now, and I haven't done a thing, <laughs> and I'm getting a little <laughs> bit stressed out now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That Nothing. sounds like how preparing for talks works to me. <laughs> I do my best work 30 minutes before the talk starts, usually. That's my <laughs> uh, yeah. Kendra, have you been up too much? Um, I have utterly failed to do the research writing that has been sitting on my plate, which is post-processing my Morgan Library photos and writing about gold leaf and manuscripts. The thing I have been studying is the British Library's Portuguese genealogy, which is a set of uh, seven, I think, unbound leaves that were a collaboration between a penciler in Portugal and a painter in Bruges, um, which were never finished because collaborating by post is really hard. And I'm interested in the gloves that are shown with the armor on these really fabulously illustrated pages. Ooh. Those look pretty uh, cool. Just drop us a link to them. Is there, are they up online or <laughs> is it standard British library? Uh, it is online. I will drop you a link. Thank you very much. Uh, Michael, what have you been up to? Oh, God. Um, since last week, I've been trying to edit this terrible, poorly, this terrible Talhoffer companion volume that I wish I'd never envisioned, um, which to turn into a nightmare because every kind of document glitch and document corruption that you can produce seems to have sprung up to the point that yesterday I decided to rebuild everything from scratch with a deadline on Monday to actually have the book done. So. Hopefully I can still meet that, but the uh, the Talhafer facsimile is done, and there's a 200-ish page book of Talhafer research content and also a translation of the manuscript and so on that's being published to go along with the facsimile, and it's bringing together some original material that's never been published before by a few authors and some really solid papers that have come out here and there in the last few years. But overall, it's just to, sort of an attempt to bring everyone up to date on the current state of research on Talhofer. You know, a master who everybody's heard of, but most people don't think there's a lot to know about him. And it turns out there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. So Daniel Jacquet, Diak Hagedon, Ariel Alema, Paul Becker, Christian Tobler, and myself have all contributed articles. And Rebecca Garber has done the translation, a brand new translation of the manuscript. Nice. Yeah, so it's going to be awesome, but it's going to kill me before it's done, maybe. <laughs> uh, the first copy of that facsimile, facsimile has made it to New Zealand, by the way. I saw it on Thursday and was very jealous with somebody else's cool toys. <laughs> uh, Steve, what have you been up to? Just rabbit holes about <laughs> defining what is an attack which has led me to look at defining attacks in different sports, mm -hmm. which 
is not necessarily like, you know, attacking a person violently, but, you know, making an attempt. Every sport, like in one way or another, has an idea of what like an attack is, like an offensive move used, uh, you know, to try to score a point. So Okay, so like one team bowling in cricket or serving in tennis? Um, well, I don't know anything about cricket, and tennis is Top probably the, the, the more complicated one that, that we were discussing in the Discord. Tennis is, well, we had a, a sub-conversation about whether or not tennis is a turn-based sport. When but, you say a sub-conversation, we had a two-hour-long argument about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like a more uh, a more obvious example would be like, you know, soccer or, you know, uh, I guess everybody else calls it football, where mm-hmm. one team, you know, there's a clear there's a clear goal to get a ball in the net. And, you know, one team will always have possession of the ball. And like for that example, you can't score if you don't have possession, but there's no rule that says that you can't score at any time. The only thing that has to happen for the score is the ball to cross the net, but you can't physically score unless you have possession. But um, I don't want to go into that, like deeply into that rabbit hole right now. We should talk about Indus instead. (laughs) Cool. Uh, T, what have you been up to? Uh, not that much fencing-wise. Uh, I finished off. I taken a series of uh, seminars on coaching and like uh, coaching practice from uh, which are organized by Scottish Fencing. Um, there was some good stuff. Uh, so, uh, they're doing a second series, so I'll probably join that as well. Um, there was there was some good stuff, mostly focused on building teams and building group culture more than on kind of actual teaching physical skills. Um, but that's quite useful stuff. Um, Probably my favorite single takeaway point, which I quite liked as a phrasing, is that your your group's culture is defined by the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate, um, which I found was quite a useful way to like frame and understand what decisions you want to make uh, for like what you're not going to accept and so on. The stuff you actually let people get away with doing is going to define what your culture tends to. Um, if you say we're going to be great about this, but then you don't actually you let people be shitty on something you're you're not going to get your your goals uh so there was some interesting stuff in there uh and i'll probably go back to their next series as well cool cool uh what have i been up to absolutely nothing theoretical book wise <laughs> i signed up or kind of like snuck into an fa fencing club again for the last two weeks and only been able to make it once a week Got my butt handed to me. Lots. Um, I had a nice fence on Thursday, and now I've come down with the cold. So if you hear me sniffling, then that'll be it. I'll have to get myself a COVID test as soon as we finish this. Although it's pretty unlikely. All right. Indes. Indes, 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 Indes. If that word still has meaning to you by the end of this episode, then we've done something wrong. Right, so this episode is just to record all of our wild thoughts on it that didn't make it into the more down-to-earth previous two episodes, right? This is where we just speculate yeah. like mad? Yeah, this is this is wild theories, mild theories. Let's start with some uh, falconry. 
Yeah, I want to hear about Indez and hunting. Sure. Well, okay, so Indez doesn't really turn up in hunting in hunting proper, but uh, you know what I got to thinking about was that it says that you have to feel with Indez in the hand, right? And that's in in that that extra bit of of text that uh, that shows up in Nakrison, the the gloss of Indez. And so it says you you must feel with the word Indez on the fist whether they are hard or soft on the sword. And when you're looking at Zihand, yeah, in the hunting stuff, it has a very specific context, meaning that that you have your bird of prey, whether it's a hawk or a falcon, ready to roll. Um, probably a hawk in this case, but and and that you have not yet launched them. So when you would launch your your attack, let's make it an attack, ha ha ha, with the bird, mm-hmm. um, would literally be that you would have hunters, other hunters out, and in English they're called beaters, but you would have beaters out um, hitting the bushes to versets your prey animals. So once, whether it's whether it's rabbits or 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 you know pigeons or whatever you're after, once they run, then you literally throw your hawk off the fist at them, and the chase is on. Um, and so, if if you want to wild theory game this out it almost then would read that what that's telling us is that you need to to feel once they have been versets before you launch your chase. Yeah? Mm. Nice. And so Indez, if we're making Indez a noun, just to set up Steve, but if we're making Indez a noun in this case, that Indez is a thing doing a thing, Indez could be the hawk at our fist. And that we do not... Um, release Indes until the time is right and we understand which path our prey is going to take, hard or soft. Oh. Is that wild enough? <laughs> <laughs> so Indes is a thing that you can use, almost like a technique. Yes. In this reading. Yes. So I have a question. What would be this, how would the hawk be moving harder soft? No, the prey is moving harder soft. Okay. And the hawk, the hawk is chasing according to that. Uh, okay. Okay. If the thing right. flies left or right, right, you need to th- launch your hawk in the right general direction. Yeah. Right. Is is the bird going to go straight up? Is it going to try to take the ground? Is it going? You know. Yeah. Exactly. Because all of all of the medieval hunting is all about pre-planning where the prey is going to run. And you're trying to force the prey onto a specific pathway so that you can kill it at a specific place. And that's part of the game. So you are... Okay, so you try to force your the prey where it wants to go. And then you point the hawk in the right direction... And then once the hawk is off, the hawk will do its thing. Is that a yeah. uh, 
and that's where like the metaphor goes with the sword so yeah yeah right because if you if you launch the hawk early and it has nothing to chase it may just leave and not come back right because birds are never birds are never domesticated they're only briefly tamed and you only keep any given bird for a couple of years at some point it will leave you um which is part of why part of the attachment to to the birds right why so much care and feeding and attention is paid to the birds i mean there's so many medieval manuscripts about this um, but even modern hawkers, they're that way about it. Really? Which is why this of... is... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I always thought that you had to like raise the bird from an egg and it would stick with you the whole time until it died or whatever. They, I didn't know you... that you, you expected that it would only last for a few years and then it would be gone. Yeah, like literally at some point, all of them, from my understanding, will just be like, yeah, no, this seems stupid. I'm I'm out. Peace. <laughs> and they just go. So you're out for a hunt, and it's just like, yeah, I'm not going to come back. Change my <laughs> mind. See you never. So, okay. So I guess to bring this into the realm of fencing, more literally, you are, when you're feeling by hand, you're still making the decision about where to send the hawk. And then once you've sent it, it's kind of out of your hands. It's uh, it's up to, I guess, your reflexes to correctly land the hit. Would that be a uh, decent assessment? Assessment, or my my impression is that's a pretty accurate summary. Probably with the the key point that you want to you don't want to launch too late when the things like might already be gone. And it's not an opportunity, and nor do you want to launch too early. You're wanting to launch just at the moment you've established where the you send your hawk out at just at the moment you've established where the path of the prey is going to be, and you give chase behind it to to catch the prey is kind of your the two things which are going on for how you're trying to use it. I think that's correct. Sure. Well, I like it. I like the metaphor. I think it's worth having another episode over, at least. Right. This this hawk theory was the reason why we started talking about a third episode. By the way, because we were like, "What? That belongs. In, that belongs in the Indus episode. Why didn't we remember that?" <laughs> I believe and then we I realized promised... we had a ton of other things we could also say. <laughs> I believe I promised that if Jess explained the hawk metaphor, I would add my own wild hawk theory on top of it. Um, Good. I'll keep it short because it's not actually Indus. It's hanging. But it totally fits because I think hang-in is, it's when your point is aimed at your target area, right? And in hunting, hang-in is when you let the leash or the jesses or the reins hang, but it's also when you give your animal its head and it knows where to go. So I think when you, if you study right, when you point your sword at the target, it knows where to go. And at that point, you get out of its way and you let it do its job. Yeah, I think that's a um, a similar idea to what we were getting at here. At least how I understood it, anyway. Hanging and winding are a really interesting pair of terms. Um, that's going to be some fun episodes. Yeah. Um, having seized the floor, I can 
continue with more weird stuff. I do not remember what I said about the grammatical indes last time. But I remember that we didn't talk about the list enough of when it says all of the things indes this, indes that. So in the Latin gloss, there is no word for indes. All of the sentences with indes in them are paraphrased. So this list is just a list of the techniques. It's the same techniques. But they're all in the same grammatical case. So it can be read as either using or during each of those techniques. During with doublings. Sorry, that's a terrible word I should replace. Uh, (laughs) During doublings. During changings about. During runnings across. During cuttings into. During wrestlings. um, Or using. So I'm not sure exactly what this means, but it seems important. So you're saying that the the Latin word used explicitly has both meanings, right? Or like implicitly has both meanings? It's implicit because it's not a word, it's a case. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> each of the technique words has the sense of either during or using. Um, there's a few other more obscure things, but um, for anyone who's familiar with the ablative, it's the ablative with no prepositions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's explicitly ambiguous, basically. Do you, do you want to talk about the use of Indes actions as separate clauses inserted into other clauses? I don't think you mentioned that either. Uh, the, the grammar is performance art Indes? It is. I think that's a separate thing, but that's the even crazier illustration of how it seems like what happened was this translator found Indes difficult, is what we theorize, and hard to explain, and maybe thought that having this magic special sharp word for it wasn't the right way to do it, and so paraphrased everything, but then is doing, is showing you Indes by what's done with the grammar. So this sort of duality of the during and using, but more often it shows up, I had an example, um, it shows up where you'll be going along in the sentence, and then while something is happening, in the middle of a phrase, bam, something else is happening that's part of the action being described. So, uh, you follow his strike courageously with your sword against his opening. But if he had lifted up the sword and your sword had struck from below while being observed most carefully, in order that the swords will have been contacted to the greatest extent, you place your sword on top or over his from the long point quickly at the shoulder of the enemy and you press it down with this account. Which all sounds fine if you're not following along with your sword in your hand, but two of those phrases have each been reversed so that they're in slightly the wrong place and it doesn't quite make sense as you step through it. Unless you have been staring at this text for long enough that you discovered this pattern and so know to look for places where phrases need to be swapped. I'm still not sure I'm conveying it effectively, but it is the weirdest darn thing. So what you're getting at is they replaced the word indes with a rearranging of the text. Right. They placed placed your action indes, the opponent's action. Right. They made the text itself indes. Yeah. Yes. It's, It's performance art. 
I just used it. Um, we should do our English translations that way. <laughs> we should do really careful typography where you just put the sentences like in the the middle sentence, the middle section. <laughs> in we like should a do super a cipher. So that seems really confusing. Do you think like the person? Do you think they expected the person to have the German copy of the gloss also and be like reading both of them? Uh. Not in this case, because this is from the Munich copy of Paulus Hector Meyer, which has only the Latin. So if you had this mega manuscript, you would then need to go and find something else and know that you needed to find it in order to do that side by side. You could only do the direct comparison with the Vienna copy. Hmm. Sometimes I wish the Latin copy was like the only copy of Lev that we found. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe just the first and like primary ones. But I guess it's. But then you come to your senses. The, yeah. the world would be a different place. I might be a lot more famous, but I also might not. <laughs> it would be different for sure. I, I wish we had any Lichtenauer text that only existed in Latin um, because it would just be interesting to try and interpret if we didn't have the German to sort of compare it to. Like, you know, some other guy, Virgil von Krakow, wrote a completely Latin gloss. That would be great. But I don't think that actually would ever happen because it's the wrong time period. Virgil von Krakow's gloss is great, but it is sadly not, does not exist in Latin. Wasn't that an April Fool's joke also? Yes. <laughs> but he was a real guy as far as we know, so he could have written a real one. It would probably be in Polish if it wasn't in German, though. Virgil von Krakow is the name used for the postmodern gloss for reference, which is the one generated ah. by text, uh, like a text generation AI. Uh, I forgot about that. Yeah. How was your class on interpreting it, T? It was great. Uh, one of the best classes I've ever helped teach. <laughs> Do you get a lot of good fencing out of that? We. Um, this is a, a bit of a nice aside, but I did a class last year uh, with John Middleton from the UK. Um, and we, we split all the class up into little groups and gave them plays from Virgil von Krakow, which are just like nonsense plays that don't actually exist in any source. Uh, and we had everybody try and interpret them in little groups and then come back and show each other what they'd interpreted. And we were making a point about like interpretation. You know, there isn't a single immediate right version of something. And then we told them it was all fake and comes from an AI, not from a historical manuscript, and ran away before they could have us with their swords. You could have used your Wilhelm and it would have been the same thing. <laughs> we talked about using it for a, a paired technique competition at short point the last year we did short point but it didn't happen because you know the, the event is not supposed to be taken seriously so this would be a great way to underscore that yeah that would work too especially if you gave out actual prizes for whoever did the best job Kendra I have one more thing about the Latin version sure thing um, what is the status of the rhyming of the list so because the list is this series of words all in the same case, they all rhyme because they all end ibis. <laughs> nice. Uh, somehow I've lost my place on the page. But um, yeah, the where there's the four things in a row, they all end ibis. That is so an easy way to make will, it rhyme. I will mangle it for you in the Latin. You can listen for rhyming. Skilliket.
Conduplationibus, Transmutationibus, Transcursibus, Incisionibus, Luctus, Arepto Ensehoc Habitu, Quiquid Vulveris, Conabaris Praecupue, Id Contra, Hunc Habitum, Tam Prestantem, Ignorantes, Exercere Poteris. Nice. <laughs> it sounds like the first kind of rhyme, and then after that, the rhyme kind of peters out. But the listiness peters out also. Yeah, true. Yeah, is it just me or some of the later ones there using like phrases instead of individual words to describe things? They absolutely are. Um, so there's the list of all the during things, um, gets to during wrestlings, and then creeping up on the sword using this gesture, however you would want. If you will try it in particular against this lasting or continuing action, you will be able to practice the unknown ones. Yeah, um, that is definitely... And in this case, it in particular, we think is also a reference to Indes. Like, I don't know, I think Indes appears there in German. Sometimes when the translator can't do the grammar performance, he just sticks in id, which is a really weird thing to do in Latin. Like, that is also a grammatical anomaly. So we have rendered those in all capitals every time there's a weird pronoun that isn't normal. Uh, and I will paste you guys this text so you can read it and include it in the show notes. Thank you very much. Is that the, the equivalent of being of in English being like mutating, doubling, uh, running, blah, 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 in? Is it something slightly different? Um, it's it's more than that. Like it's so they're all plural nouns, but it has this um, ambiguous during and using. Um, if it was just okay. verbs made into nouns, it would look different. But I guess it is kind of equivalent in the sense that there are all of these words which wouldn't necessarily have rhymed because they're in the same case and therefore have the same ending. Now they're rhyming. Eh, they, <laughs> because they're all in parallel, no matter what case they are, they would probably all be in the same case. Yeah. And so are likely to all more or less rhyme. Cool. Can I talk about grammar now? Go for it, grammar nerd. <laughs> um, okay, so I was digging a little bit more into the definition of the actual word in this, in particularly in uh, Grimm's Dictionary. And it is, I, what I discovered is that it can be a, uh, an adverb or a conjunction. So what an adverb is, is it's, it's a word that modifies a verb. So it modifies the action that you're doing. It just, it's, um, it's a property of the action that you're doing. Whereas an adjective uh, modifies a noun. So it is a, uh, a property of like a specific thing. So why that matters here is because when indes is used, it's not describing a property of the technique itself that you're using, but of the way that you do it. So you don't, you know, um, 
if you do like say a, a uh, say like you're doing an obsession or something, Dirch or sorry, um, Indes is not a property of Dirch or of Obsetson itself, but something that you do in order to do Obsetson. Something. Am I making sense? Am I rambling? Okay, so, so you're not doing the absets and indes, you're absetsoning indesly? Right, indesly. <laughs> I, I can word good. Yeah, and that's that's reflected in the way that it's used in the gloss. It's never actually used as, well, the difference, the, the one exception is the list in which it's used as a noun. Um, but <laughs> um, every other case, it's used as an adverb. Now, I also said it can be it can be a conjunction, but we don't see its conjunction usage um, explicitly in RDL. Um, later on, in other sources, there are places where it may possibly be a conjunction. But um, yeah, so okay, I guess to, to bring so that how, back, how does that inform? Yeah, right. So to bring that back that back to the list, and you know the problems we have with like. Things that might not involve, might not necessarily involve a bind in their uh, canonical usage. I think that seeing indes there, like the like the early New High German reader would understand the the adverb usage and understand that indes is not necessarily a um, intrinsic part of Deutschwechsel but in the way that you're going to be using it. So you can move indes from a bind and Durchwechsel around, I guess. And that's my technology. Does that scan for you, Joey, as our resident native German speaker? Uh, yes, I think so. So Steve is making sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it will be the difference between this action is always indes versus it is possible to do this action in Desley or not in Desley. Yeah. And if you do it like this, then it's an in then it's the Indesley execution of it. That's gonna be my, my, my English translation of Indes is gonna be Indesley now. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say I, I think it makes sense because I'm I'm just again trying to find instances where it's used as a conjunction, but I can't find any. So I think it's an adverb, and I think it should be <laughs> indesly. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay, I'm so I, um, I, I searched a little bit for um, conjunction usages, and I don't think there's, I don't think there's any in RDL. Um, there's one from uh, Spire that, that might be a conjunction. I don't have it up right now. Um, I should have done that before. But um, And then if you look at uh, Paul Sector Meyer's longsword, not not his uh, copies of Lev or anything, but his you know, longsword in his compendium of like a bunch of stuff, he uses Indes all the time. And a lot of the times, I think it is um, the uh, conjunction usage. But Again, I don't have any specific instances prepared, like I should have. <laughs> okay, speaking of Grimm, I did some interesting reading 
And by I, I mean mostly Rebecca Garber, who I collaborate with on translations. She was, I remembered her saying something a couple of years ago when they were working, she was working on the German Lev um, about Indes and how Indes was strange and uncomfortable and she was digging through dictionaries. So I asked her to go through it again when we're talking about this new Indes episode. And what she found is that in Grimm, Indes is defined as a temporal, what's the word I'm looking for, adverb, um, which it always means during or meanwhile or things about time. Grimm is early new high German. It, it, um, so more or less the, our fencing manual time period. But when she went to Lexer, which is a middle high German dictionary, and is possibly the Zedel time period, right? Maybe Lichtenauer, maybe not, maybe too early for Lichtenauer, depending on how you want that timeline to work. But in there, it's defined, it, it tells you to, it doesn't even define indes, it says see inna. And inna is a spatial adverb or adjective. Yeah. Um, so inna is, just means inside or within something. And it has some temporal applications but it's by analogy from the spatial sense. So just like you can be inside a place and that's understood, they might use it to mean inside of a time or an event, um, but it's not a word that necessarily means that, if that makes sense. So we have this transition potentially, I mean, this is far from settled fact because dictionaries are not the most reliable place to get facts from, but we have this potential transition from a spatial meaning in say the 13th, 14th century to a time temporal meaning in the 15th, 16th century. And I think we can see that in the actual teachings of the title and the glosses. Because if we, we, could look, we could look at it as saying if the title was written in Middle High German, then the title was written with the idea that Indes was talking about a place or a position. And then by the time they, it gets glossed by RDL, we and they're now using it as a temporal adverb, which is why they have to explain in several paragraphs what indes means instead of just assuming you'll understand it. They have to say, no, 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 indes doesn't mean during. Indes means when you're in the bind and you feel what's happening, then you make a movement, um, which would be unnecessary if it was just a regular plain old word. So they're trying to back the middle high German definition into their current language. But where it gets really interesting is by the time we get to Joachim Meyer, 100 years after those guys, then he doesn't even care about space um, in the word indes. He says that that's a lie that people tell and that indes only means time. And he has he talks about his four time words are for and nach and indes and gleich, which means simultaneously. So as far as he's concerned, there's no space at all in indes. It's just about timing because by his time, it's solidly early New High German. So that is what Indes means. And he floats the idea that people who talk about Indes meaning a spatial thing are actually confusing it with the Latin word intus, which does mean within. So he says, there are some masters who teach that it's a Latin loan word that's intus, but they're wrong because it's a good German word that means during. Uh, but so we get this interesting evolution of space to time that's echoed in the fencing texts. If, ever, if anyone managed to follow my explanation there. So it's really interesting. I don't know if it's true. It could be that Indes always meant during. And Brian Puckett mentioned, pointed this possibility out that actually it's a pun that Lichtenauer is making. And he actually intended you to 
understand Indes and Intus with the same word. So it's, you know, Lichtenauer has his secret hidden words that they mentioned at the beginning of the title. And Indes could be one of them. It could be intended to be mistaken for the time meaning and the space meaning is hidden inside of it. I don't know. I like the idea of the language evolution more, but either way, I think that there's a spatial and temporal component that's present in the word that the glossators aren't entirely sure what to do with, and they sort of do their best to explain it. And that's just based on what the, what later dictionary compilers have produced. Um, so it's far from proof, but it's very compelling possibility. I feel like this is a good time to um, add about the uses of indes in sources between RDL and Meyer, which may possibly shed a little bit more light on this situation or uh, support what uh, Michael was saying before. So let's see, in par and find, indes is only used one time and it's in the, the Aufstreichen section. So in Parnfeind's main thing, he doesn't use indes at all, which isn't surprising considering um, he's kind of famous for doing a bunch of combination attacks. And we've already, uh, we've already decided that combination attacks are not very indes. Look, I didn't use it as an adverb again. Okay, um, okay. your Wilhelm Hooter, uh, so we're in uh, 1523 now. He never uses indes outside the Zettel verse. So he has a lot of Zettel verse in his writing. Um, and he uses indes there because it shows up in Zettel, but, out, but in his writing, he never uses indes. Hans Madel uh, uses it a lot and only as an adverb. Um, I said I found one place that might be a conjunction, but also might be an adverb. So we probably pretty much conclude that he uses it as an adverb. And then we get to Paulus Hector Meyer, who is an interesting case. He uses it a lot of times. He throws around, around the word indes quite often. And he uses it both as a um, conjunction and as an adverb. However, uh, one thing that's interesting about Paulus Hector Meyer is he has... Um, is Dresden version and Vienna version. And I bring those two up because they're both next to each other on Wichtenauer, so they're easy to compare. <laughs> and um, a lot of places where he uses the word indes in the Dresden version, he, he will switch it to indem in the Vienna version. So the word indem is very similar to uh, Indes in terms of the definitions given on Grimm. So I, I feel like, and, and it can, it, it's like Indem is always temporal. So I feel like that's the, the fact that um, Paul Sektormeyer, maybe he doesn't see Indes as anything super special. So he can just willy nilly substitute indem for it whenever he wants and indem is you know purely uh temporal so maybe from that we can get the idea that indes is a purely temporal word by that time which is like the 1550s at this point <laughs>
just before Jochen Meyer. So that's Ooh. my TED talk. <laughs> Who, who's up next with the spicy wild theory? So I think we mentioned, I think I mentioned that Indus doesn't show up in wrestling very often and rather ring and mitt is what shows up. Um, but that is also in our list of, our list of Indes things is ring and mitt, right? Um, because when you look at uh, Ott's prologue or um, Von Baumann, it's prologue to wrestling where it talks about strong and weak wrestlers, Vor and Nock. And then for the middle pieces, it has skill and mitt. Um, so I don't know what that does as far as uh, our use case, as far as, you know, adverbs or what, like, what is mitt? Does that apply? Is mitt time or space or neither? I don't know. I just thought it was a useful question. Yeah, like I think a lot of the English translations just skip mit in this uh, in the little list here, but I've just checked a couple of the sets of German and it's yeah, definitely and I think it's the, important German, actually, um, which uh, wasn't sitting fresh in my brain the first time we did Indus or the first two times we did Indus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like in just a random uh, translation. Ah, Steve has Indus wrestles with, but. Uh, Trust Glare, for example, just has Indes wrestles yeah. and with Indes take the sword. Um, but what it's I noticed, still Indes ringed mitt. What I noticed Indes when I was looking at this is a lot of odd translations also skip the width there. So it, the, the point gets really obscure at that point. Um, or, sorry, the wrestles width gets really obscure when neither translation you're looking at acknowledges the width. Um, but for example, uh, the Falco Fritz translation from Dirk Hagedorn's uh, Love Book rephrases it to avoid that that specific wrestles with con um, construction. So it sounds like... How does he handle it? It sounds like uh, Christian was moving to the next statement. So he changed it to Indus wrestles and then with Indus take the sword. Which I don't know works. Oh. Right. Yeah. With the um, with the form of uh, takes the sword, nimmt den Schwert. Let me check. Indes nimmt den Schwert. Nimmt den. Feeling like this. Indes wrestles with. In his Nikolaus, he's got Indes wrestles with. Indes takes the sword. Indes does what the heart desires. So there's definitely a mix of ways people have handled it. The fact that it's a parallel to how Ott talks about wrestling someone of the same strength and skill as you is yeah, really I think though. I think that's the undeniable part is that that when talking about for and knock and strong and weak, um, Ott does use mitt to indicate that middle place, and that's you know worthy of note. So okay, I'm I'm looking at it. Okay, well, so now I've. Um... You've got questioning whether the mitt belongs on the same line or not. And okay, point against it being ring it, ring it, mitt. Nimm das Schwert can be like an imperative, take the sword. So it could be with Indes, take the sword. However, uh, point against, which I feel like is much stronger, 
um, indes ringet mit, uh, rhymes with uh, indes nim den snit. So, yeah. I feel like it's got to be on the same line. It's got to be uh, Russell's with. Yeah, a lot of translators don't seem to acknowledge the rhyming scheme there in general. So it might be something that they didn't, that they missed. But that, I think, is pretty conclusive evidence. Uh, Lekrichner in his Messer treatise uh, doesn't use ring mit, he says in des ring. So he doesn't say uh, wrestles with, he just says in des wrestles. That's interesting. But it's not all that rhymey in Lekrichner. So in, in Danzig and in uh, Ringeck and in Lef, I, I see the rhyme scheme. Lekrichner has it a bit. But he, he uses some other words or techniques in there that don't rhyme. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> but what I wanted well, to say is... was a he... hack who didn't know what he was on about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, doesn't, uh, he didn't know how to rhyme. No, but he doesn't use uh, wrestles with, but he just says uh, in des wrestles. Mm. Uh, let me let me retract what I said about Falco Fritz and his translation. That was not the one I was thinking of. He says um, wrestling coincidentally is how he translates mitringen, and Christian Tobler says simultaneous wrestling, which maybe speaks to the indesness of it, but not literal. It's the translation on Wichtenauer by Igo Sanchin and Gregor uh, Medvesek. Sorry for pronouncing your name that way, Gregor. Um, who? <laughs> which sort of elides the whole thing. It says, it is important to attack a weaker opponent first, an equally strong opponent at the same time as he attacks you, and a stronger opponent after his attack. When you attack first, use your speed. When you attack at the same time as the opponent, use your balance. When you attack with your, oppo when you attack your opponent, at when you attack after your opponent, pay attention to his knee bendings. So they don't ignore the idea completely, but they rephrase the whole um, paragraph to avoid having to say anything resembling mitringen, and they try to just express what their understanding of it is entirely in entirely different words. Yeah, I, I think Gregor's translation's quite interpretive. I, I yeah. seem to remember when I was trying to look up um, lower openings, I was looking at theirs for leg, and then I realised, hang on a second, Gregor's a really good wrestler. He's he's writing a translation for people that wrestle. Yeah, you'd better apologize for getting his name wrong. He will suplex you. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to pronounce your name, man. I think but, it's yeah, so, What? <laughs> <laughs> Medvishek? Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so depending on what uh, translation you look at, it's more or less obvious if there's a special term going on or just they're describing something that isn't for or not, and and not it's not that significant. I'm not sure how you could translate it in a way where it's obvious you're using a special word there. You might just have to say mitringen, but part of the problem from a translation perspective is that neither of the words by themselves are special. It's mm -hmm. that the that little conjunction and pairing of the words is seems to be a special thing. So, like, it's hard to translate to normal common words into a way that clarifies that this is still a special phrase. I think I went back in my notes after Jess pointed this out last time and changed it to co-wrestling, 
which at least is a word that doesn't appear anywhere else in my notes. So it's obvious that it's something, but that doesn't express it more than just put, put a flag on it. Yeah. Well, or at least maybe it starts people thinking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's not a word in English that means that and doesn't mean anything else. Or apparently not in German either, because it's just two regular words. Yeah. So uh, here, here's a fun one from the list. Can something be, can something be more or less indes? Can something be a little bit indes or very indes? <laughs> According to the fencing manual of HEMA Discord, yes. <laughs> uh, so, so can something be more or less indesly done? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like if you just if you just feel for a bind and then act right after that, maybe it's just a little bit in dust. But if you do the yeah. full feel hard or soft and act depending on the hard or soft, then it's very in dust. I sometimes I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I, I wouldn't claim that in death is a binary property that's either there or not. I don't um, think that's it's... sorry, go on. <laughs> I was just gonna say because somebody can be better or worse at doing things in Desley. So I was going to say, I don't think that <laughs> gloss really implies that it has a scale, but like from a fencing perspective, I mostly, if I'm trying to describe Indus to a person without like having a lecture about early new high German words, um, what I'll normally do is I'll describe it as open eyes actions off the bind. And it's definitely possible for an action to be more or less open eyes. Where a good kind of example of the difference might be if you take, say, Duplieren, right? Uh, which I'm sorry to all the Germans, I can't pronounce German. Um, uh, but like you can imagine that there are sort of three ways you could do Duplieren. Um, one of them would be that you threw your cut and then you instantly snap your hands across and you don't even bother feeling whether they actually gave you a bind or gave you the response and you just do the thing. And if they happen to give you it, it'll look like a perfect, really quick Duplieren. And then a second way to do it is you do the cut. And you feel on the blade, and you feel they're pushing strong. You feel that they're strong, and then you cut behind their blade. And then the third way to do it would be that you cut, and you feel as soon as they give you blade contact. You're like, if they're giving me blade contact, they must be strong at this point, and therefore I will immediately go to the duplier and like that's my backup plan. As soon as I feel the blade contact happen, I'm not going to feel what that blade contact is. And these are kind of at one end, you have completely closed eyes where you're not actually reacting to what they're doing. You're just doing a two stage action. Um, and hoping that they do the right thing. And at the other end, you have a completely openized action where you've done the first part, and then you're fully deciding on what the second thing will be based on how they have reacted. And in the middle, you have this kind of semi-eyes open action where you have considered what their likely response will be and planned a response to that. And as soon as you get the cue that they are responding in the correct way, you proceed to the second part of your action. So you aren't, you aren't fully making the decision on the spot but you aren't fully just doing the second thing without reference to what they're doing. You're kind of in between the two of them. Um, and so kind of from that perspective, something could be more or less, more or less openly executed. There, there's more or less variation in how you could approach doing that, doing an action like that. Um, but I'm not sure to what extent that's supported by the original glosses versus just a modern fencing constru construction. That's a very thoughtful and uh, logical response to a tongue-in-cheek tongue question. 
<laughs> That's what we do here. Um, levels of openizedness is a thing. Well, I think it's a really, actually, a really good deep question, um, and it sort of gets the heart of what you think Indes is, um, and how you think it applies to fencing, which is why I try to have a good answer for it. But because, like, if you if you think Indes is about being simultaneous in time, then you can definitely do things that are more or less simultaneous in time. Like you can imagine that if their action takes X length of time, right? I can do something where I start right at the beginning of it and I do it entirely within it, whereas something where I start like quite towards the end and maybe it overlaps the end of their action a little bit. And there you can have differences like that. Or if I, it's if it's about like forms of decision making, they're obviously it's not just a binary eyes closed, eyes open thing. Or if it's about moving physically inside something, there's still more or less direct ways you can move physically inside their movement. So on basically any of those, I reckon you could argue for a kind of a scale, but the gloss doesn't really seem to use it. It mostly seems to imply that something is in des if it's executed with some particular... To do something in desly is to do it with a set of particular characteristics. And the exact amount of those characteristics doesn't seem to matter as long as there's some of them or something like that. Like the, the exact like level of feeling or whatever is less. It tells you feel soft or hard, but it doesn't tell you kind of feel for X milliseconds. Yeah. I think you could also approach it like um, if you, how much time does it take you to make your decision after feeling? Or like uh, how educated is your decision? How, how likely is your decision to be the correct one? All of these factors could be, or uh, even how consciously are you um, choosing your decision? Or is it just purely trusting your body to know exactly what to do? I think all of those could be, uh, you know, non-binary factors until how in death you do something. Yeah, that was that was actually especially the last one of those is a good one that I didn't touch on the eyes open, eyes closed thing, the extent to which you're deliberately making a decision about where you're moving next versus kind of letting your body guide you to the way that it feels it feels your movement going. And that's an interesting variation uh, that you don't see that often. But yeah, the the gloss doesn't seem to have a scale of indes. But I reckon there probably is a scale of indes, and I guess the minimum threshold for something being indes is that it's done by feeling soft or hard, because yeah. that seems to be what's said. You know, you should feel right. like more than soft or hard, and then do this thing. So that seems like the the minimum threshold. And if you aren't even feeling soft or hard, it doesn't count. The the gloss doesn't really have a scale of soft, hard, strong, weak, does it? They they come across as absolutes. Ish, yes. Um, but there's a there's an interesting the little phrase I'm kind of ripping off there is the bit where it says to feel no more than soft or hard, which kind of implies to me that that's the amount you need to feel to be doing indes and feeling more isn't necessary. That feeling less isn't indes. Like so you if you're feeling less than that, you don't rub your tips together. Yeah, if you're feeling less than soft or hard, you don't have the information to be acting indesly. But if you're feeling more than that, you're wasting time that you should be using to hit them already. Maybe. Yeah, that's how I understand it. That it doesn't actually well, matter how much of it there is necessarily if you can feel it's there. Sorry, I talked over someone. 
Yeah, there's there's feeling and then there's also the proving, right? Or testing, examining, whatever word you want to use, right? Because you, you prove their intention or you prove their path, whether it is hard or soft. And so that is also in Indes, right? Because that's kind of how those knock rice in place work, is you have to start by lifting up real hard underneath to make them commit hard or soft, and then you Indes do the thing. Right. That reminds me of something I meant to bring up last time and forgot to write down for this one too. What is, is feeling active or passive? And in 3227A, feeling is 100% active. And the way they describe hard and soft is you try and stab the guy, and if he parries your stab, then he's hard. And if he doesn't, then he's soft and you hit him. So, and it's every time they bring up hard and soft, it's in the context of you are attacking his opening. And based on how he replies to your attack is when you feel if he's hard or soft. So there's no uh, sword rubbing in the bind in that paradigm. It's all about you're doing something aggressive to provoke him, a hard action basically. And he'll either let you do it or he won't. And that's what hard and soft means. Yeah. That's like the uh, the streamlining idea that we were talking about with Lev's uh, like Sverhow and stuff. Remember way back in the uh, Sverhow with the with the strong, like fifteen episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, way, way and back. the Zornhow too. Right, yeah, and the Zornhow. Yeah. The I, other I thing, I don't think that idea is incongruent with this with what we're talking about. The other thing this kind of puts me in mind of a little bit is something I was rereading a bit of Epe 2.0 for, uh, to help Jack Bergen-Ehlers with his talk the other day. Um, and something that uh, Johann Harmenberg talks a lot about there is the final decision to commit. Like the, the person who makes the decision last to make a committed action will often have a significant advantage. So if we're in a bind and I threaten you and you commit to something, then I can do a thing which takes advantage of it. And if I just go, you can do a thing which takes advantage of the fact I've committed instead. Because once you've committed to something, you're, well, you're, you're committed to that. There's a certain frame of time when you cannot change the action you are currently doing. And so if you can make your opponent commit by threatening or probing or proving their blade, or by the way you've entered the bind or something, the moment you feel commitment to hardness or softness is when you can act safely on that. When they're not giving you commitment, then you can't, like, you might pick to yeah. go for, you know, if I'm currently strong, but I'm not committed to be strong, being strong, and you start to do something that's based on that, I can change how I'm standing, or I can change what I'm doing as you move and break your action. But if I've committed to it, then I can't, and you can hit me inside my commitment. Um, so that might play into some of this. Well, yeah, my judo instructor always described that as you have to force your opponent to believe your commitment while remaining uncommitted. Yeah. Right? That's definitely part of it. And being fa physically fast is another, like, a thing that Harmonberg talks about a lot as part of it as well. Like, if you can physically take actions quicker than the other person then you can commit later because, you know, you just get a time advantage. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out that's useful. 
get good. Wait, so the secret <laughs> is just be fast? That's awesome. <laughs> I'll do that then. I mean, Ot says so. <laughs> Ot says if you're strong and fast, just hit him in the vor, right? Like, why even fuck around with anything else? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so that's okay. This podcast's PG thirteen. We're allowed one F bomb. All right, I took it. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, I have a uh, something that that Jeff just something that just reminded me of um, because you brought up uh, proofing, yeah. which I translate as te testing. Um, sure. I posted it in the chat now, but a while ago I had, I made like a a uh, wild chart kind of based on um, like the uh, the process of of sensing something that he gives in um, understanding fencing. So you have like it's been a while now, but uh, I'll, I'll try to the best I can. So like. You see something, and you have to process it, and then you make a decision based on that process, and then you can act. So I had this idea that, so when you bind on, there's like a uh, a fueling phase where you're feeling, and there's two steps within the fueling phase: uh, proofing, testing, and infinite sensing, which is another word that they use in the uh, in the classes. So. While you're feeling, you first test, and that's the uh, your body feeling the, the tactile um, feedback, and then sensing, the sensing phase would be your body figuring out what that tactile feedback is, whether it's soft or hard. And then from there, you work indes and do whatever you do, and then the next action begins. So it's kind of wild. I'm pretty sure those words aren't used exactly like that in the text, but I don't know. It was it was a fun thing to play around with, at least. So you found all of our our German words for an OODA loop at this point. <laughs> I, I don't know if it matches up uh, completely with the OODA loop, but um, uh, yes, it's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in particular, it has a, a the distinction that Uda has and most explanations of Uda don't have, where it separates observation and orientation, the process of gathering information and recognizing and modeling that information into something you can act on, um, sure. which you have two stages for, but is normally glossed over when people talk about Uda. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, mine, like, what, I, what, what the chart is based on is, like, pretty much directly out of uh, understanding fencing by uh, Tchaikovsky. He has charts that look exactly like that, except I substituted in some German words. Yeah, but now you can use these German words to pretend like you're teaching something out of a fencing manual. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And isn't that the dream? Yeah. I've definitely taught workshops and yeah, HEMA events where I just taught them straight out of understanding fencing. So I'm not sure you even need the chart. <laughs> yeah, but if you use German words, then it sounds more authentic. It sounds like you know what you're talking about. None yeah. of that dirty sport fencing. This is real German fencing when you use German words. I think in um, in in the actual uh, glosses, the word "empfinden" 
which means sensing is pretty much used interchangeably with feeling, which is feeling. So your Joey has, Joey looks skeptical. In my uh, modern new high German brain, uh, those words are synonyms. So I can use them interchangeably. They I'm are not sure if that was the case uh, back then, so I don't know. But uh, right now I wouldn't make a difference. Nice. I guess one of the last points on our... Sorry, go on. Nope, it's all you. Go. I was going to say one of the last points on our list is why is Indes a sharp word? What's sharp about it? Who's got the best answer? And what it does cuts it people on the edges. It? You both spoke at the same time and I didn't hear what you heard yourself. <laughs> well, it's just the hive mind turning into one. <laughs> what does it mean to be cut by the sharp word? Yeah, what does it say again? It's like a, this is a sharp word, and many of the masters of the sword are cut by it. That's it, isn't it? Well, you you are cut by the sword of the person who knows how to use it better. I would say is the boring answer. That's a it's a good boring answer. One. The one hypothesis I've wondered about is whether it's partly a reference to the fact that this is both really effective and really hard. Like, it's not an easy way to fence. Obviously, doctrinally, it's something that RDL, like, praises as good fencing and a good method of fencing. But it's a it's a very hard way to fence compared to eyes-closed combinations. Um, if you... You have to be particularly good at this to beat people who are potentially less good or less experienced or however you want to phrase it, but depend on speed and strength and ice close combinations instead. So from that perspective, it could be considered sharp or double-edged or difficult because it's um, like it's both powerful and risky and challenging is one possibility. What is the German word there? I can't remember because it's not sharp. It, it is sharp. It is sharp? It oh, is. okay. Um, I, I'm just looking at Peter van Danzig, or oh, pseudo Peter van Danzig, and he says, uh, in death, this is then sharpest word. Ah. Uh, what, Kendra, what, what are they using in the Latin? That part isn't in the Latin, and it makes me really nah! mad. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a single line of Zetel somewhere in this entire gloss. God damn it. That's the most annoying thing. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> well, you know, you can look back in time and feel connected to a translator who came to a hard part and said, you know what, I don't want to deal with this, and then didn't. We've all been there, right? But invented a new, harder way to deal with it instead. Well, I haven't been there, but maybe I have. I don't know. You're typesetting a book in Word right now. Yeah, it's a sharp word. And it cuts people who don't know how to do it, but only if you're really good at it, would probably be my kind of summary of this, that little section. Because if you're not good at it, you just get beaten up by the noob who moves fast while you're trying to work out what's happening. I don't know about everyone else, but I've definitely been there in tournaments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Is there anything else that can possibly be said about Indus that we haven't already said? 
Mm-hmm. Say it now or forever hold your peace. Uh, the only other. <laughs> there are three other things about Indes, Jess. What were you saying? Um, the only thing I had is I'm I uh, I finally got myself a hard copy of Monte and I've been reading him, which I love it. But um, he seems to like he has a whole thing on, a paragraph on temper, right? Um, mm. Moderation, whatever. Uh, but and it's not it's absolutely not a one to one, but he does seem to turn temper into a thing that is doing things in the way that that uh, is done with Indes here. And so I think that's that's maybe another fun way people could look at it if they wanted to go. Uh, OK, so, so like riffing off Aristotle and the golden mean and all that stuff. Exactly. Like, exactly. Cool. If you Which is can always... remember. Sorry, go on. I'm just going to say it's always something I think of with Indes is is thinking about golden mean stuff because it seems inherent inherent in the medieval ethos. So cool. Nice. Next, next final point about Indes. Come on, we can do this. We can finish this. Michael, you were trying to say something. I was just making a joke about Indes Part 4. It's not important. <laughs> oh, I was doing as well. <laughs> oh, guys, we can do a prequel trilogy about Indes. <laughs> <laughs> nope. All right. Going. Uh, actually, going. I have a question um, that I, we might have covered last time, but I don't recall covering it. Um, yes, do you know... Of any illusion, allusions to Indes or equivalents to Indes in Tin Can and Pony being armor and, hor- and mounted? Or is that not relevant to those? I think we did talk about that in a previous episode. What was the answer? We talked about it we... very briefly again. Yeah, we did talk about it, and there isn't much Indes usage back there for so whatever what reason. The... I think. What is it about armor that makes Indes not important? You move slower? Um, no, I. what I think it's about is... Well, it seems to be the same thing as with wrestling, right? Why it doesn't show up in wrestling as a thing. It's with, and I suspect it's because there are more pieces in play, because your openings are smaller, because... Getting hit doesn't mean you're dead, right? Um, so there are, there's always other hands you can bring in. Like in armor, I can just block a cut with my arm. I don't even have to engage the sword, right? So that kind of changes all the rules, doesn't it? Hmm. So you need to feel in this with a bind between their sword and your arm. Right. I gotcha. Yeah. Obviously, not not the same. Not the same thing. There is absolutely like the um, the associated ideas about proving and about hard and soft. All of that absolutely exists. Um, Swingen is huge and is always coming up. Uh, Überlaufen is always coming up. Nachreisen is always coming up. But Indes, eh, not so much. I'm surprised that there isn't Indes in wrestling because you would have thought that like 
It's always, be... it's always met. It's always with. Does mit ringen appear anywhere besides Odd's introduction? His first paragraph? Is it used throughout? Um, give me a moment. I think so. I looked at this a long time ago. Because it's in the, um, it is in, also I put in our chat, there's a little bit from Von Baumann, Wallerstein, in its intro. But it handles it even weirder, which is frustrating. Cool. Um, yeah, right. One thing I did remember, I do remember, I haven't done much armor, but I did a bit when I visited uh, Jess last year. Um, and I have a, a firm recollection of an exchange we fenced where I was in full harness. Um, and like I lost my grip on my spear or something. Um, and I mm. pretty much grabbed Jess's spear, marched myself up it um, just by feel until I got to her grabbed onto you and then pulled a dagger and stabbed you. I was like, oh, okay, this is what fooling is about. Cool. Um, you know, I, yeah. I have no idea where the where in the room the person I'm trying to fight is, but I can feel their weapon and use that to get to the person, um, which is a pretty fun way to approach fencing. Or fencing, I guess, by that point. Yeah, I mean, really in armor, it's all feel. All feel and no indus? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, well, maybe actually, I mean, you might have a point there. Maybe if you're always like, so when you're wrestling, you know, you take your grips and then you are always feeling. So maybe if you're always feeling all the time, maybe indes doesn't matter as much. Maybe it only matters if you're just feeling for a split second and you have to make an immediate decision. Is that a possibility? Is it easier to feel when you're literally hands-on than when you have to feel through your sword? Oh, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a rhetorical <laughs> question, but it seems relevant. Yeah, but actually I think there could be something to, to what Steve is saying. Like, to a certain extent in, in wrestling, you basically can't do anything without at least a degree of feel. Um, and it does, whereas with a sword, I definitely can play a game which is entirely around absence of blade and distance management and never involves physical contact until the point I'm hitting. Um, that's totally a viable way to fence if you're good at your distance management and footwork. Um, so maybe there is a degree to which like, it's emphasized here because there are viable strategies which don't involve it, while in armor, to a lesser extent, or in armor, it's much more common to spend a lot of your time in physical engagement. And in wrestling, it's still more common. You're basically not doing any wrestling unless you physically have hands-on with the other person. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to imagine wrestling where you're just doing eyes-closed actions. Like, what would that be? Just shooting from out of distance? Mostly it would be a good way to end up on the ground a lot. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's called boxing when you're just doing eyes <laughs> And not even all boxing, but yeah. I think you have to be striking at that point, right? Trying to grab somebody and just do the thing you memorized is... I guess that's how white belts spar, but... Yeah. You finally grab an arm, going to do an arm, but it doesn't matter what they do. <laughs> Wait, why didn't it work? <laughs> um, all right. Anything else to say about Indes? Going, <laughs> going, gone. All right, we've done it, guys. Congratulations. Thank you to our listeners for making it through this, our third episode on Spicy Wild 
in Des takes. This might be uh, our fourth episode by the time we're finishing it for <laughs> reference. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, only an hour and five minutes so far, it looks like. Uh, right. How long the last one was when we split that one up too? All right, our third and fourth. <laughs> and pay you final. Okay. Part no. Episode three, part one, and episode three, part two. Okay. I've been your host, Mark Swanch, and joining us this week have been Jess Finley, Johanna Hopfgardner, Kendra Brown, Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, and TQ. Thank you for listening. <laughs>